But the bottom line was, I've seen so many immigrant groups, just in my short lifetime, go from one, two, three generations already, you know, where they've succeeded and their kids have succeeded and there's multiple homes that are owned because immigrants get it. They come here and they still see it a land of opportunity. Welcome back to my YouTube channel. I'm super excited to have this next guest with me. Um, he is somebody that whose content I, I also very much watch, and I, I kind of try and stay up to date with all of his stuff. I look at him as somebody who's a forerunner in this area, New York, New Jersey area, in particular with Latino conservatives. So from the This Is America podcast, please welcome Rich Valdez with an S. Thanks so much for being here, man. <laughs> Thanks, brother. Good to be with you, Angel. What's, What's up, everybody? Like so one of the things that um, we talked about prior to, to shooting was uh, policing and stuff like that. I know there's a lot of things happening in the news cycle, and I'm sure you more than anyone know how frequently things change. What are the things that, are, that you're talking about right now that are kind of on the top of your head? Well, you know, what's interesting is there's this big conversation about policing. Uh, you mentioned a little bit. Uh, the, I think one of the conversations around policing that needs to happen is we, or with any political topic, honestly, and policing is not necessarily a political topic, but it's become one. And it's that just because a cop does something um, that people may disagree with doesn't mean it's always wrong. But it also doesn't mean that every time a cop does something that it's it's never wrong. Right. And, you know, like I saw a video a night or two ago of a 73-year-old woman with dementia who... Um, her, part of her daily routine was to go buy groceries at Walmart. She lived within walking distance of a Walmart. Mm -hmm. So she so goes she to the Walmart. Walmart. She, she has dementia now, so, so she, she does, does this. And she went and she got her groceries and didn't pay. Oh, wow. So she's shoplifting. The, the store security caught her and like, ma'am, you didn't pay. She was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I forgot. I left my wallet home. She's disoriented. Yeah. So she's walking back to her house. They didn't call the cops on her. Maybe they did. I don't know. I didn't see that part of the story, but it seemed that the, the, the cops um, approached her and she was like, oh, I'm just going home now. And this, this young, very uh, physically fit cop, literally because she just walked away. And she wasn't with it. Like, he was like, oh, where are you going? Yeah. <laughs> and she was like, oh, I'm going home. And he, like, tackles her and grabs her arm and, and broke her arm, broke her, um, I think it was either her, whatever, her, like, um, femur or something in her leg. Right. And uh, it was to me, it was just, how do you do that to a, an old lady that has dementia? Yeah, absolutely. And it, it was a total power trip. And I'm thinking to myself, look, you know, and I'm not, I'm not going to join, join the, the chorus, chorus of people, people that are going to sit there and go, she should have stopped. She just shouldn't have resisted. She should have just, no, hell no. I don't think that the government should have the level of power that they have sometimes. And they shouldn't be able to be, uh, I'm going to use the word douchebags, with that, in, to be a douchebag with impunity. I'm not saying that's the truth for, for every cop or for the government in general. Um, I'm just saying you have situations. This is life, right? Some guests on your show, I'm sure, are really, really good. Some guests maybe not so good. That's how it works sometimes. So I think that's important to note. And we should never sit there and be like, I'm always with the cops or I'm always with the people. No, you should go on the side of what's right and good on each side of whatever situation it is, because we have to focus on what's right and good. And caveat, 
I went to the Essex County College Police Academy, uh, the abbreviated one for volunteers. I did that, and I served with the Nutley Police Department for a, a number of years. My brothers have served NYPD and retired. So, um, you know, law enforcement is something we really respect in my family. But if you're going to use your police power to tackle an old lady who's not really resisting, but she's walking away because she's clearly not well... I mean, come on. And it's not the first video I've seen. I saw another guy who was having, like, diabetic shock. And they're like, get out of the car. Get out of the car. Let me see your hands. And he was, he didn't know, he couldn't walk. And, you know, and they, I think they shot the guy. You know, so, I mean, it was just, it really, the, the, sometimes um, to say that we need better training, yeah, better home training, better police training. But I don't think that's across the board. I think, by and large, cops do an amazing job every day. So, again, I don't, I didn't necessarily want to talk about police, but I think I heard you mention policing, and I think that's something that's always in the news. It's interesting, the, the Blue Lives Matter kind of a back the blue movement that's, that's kind of, you know, very, very well, I guess, supported on the right is very interesting to me because it kind of relies on, it's a very uniquely American thing, right? Like it, it relies heavily on the fact that we have a constitution, that we have individual rights, that we have, you know, essentially this whole law system worked out behind what's going on or rather what happens after, let's say, the police interaction. Whereas like I'm noticing now with all the new, with all the news that's happening with Colombia and with um, a lot of what happens in Latino America, like there, there isn't as much trust in the police because they don't have enough of an infrastructure when it comes to the constitution and things like that to really right. be able to say, hey, I wholeheartedly trust that officers are doing the right thing because, I mean, you go to Mexico, you can bribe a cop easily. You can, you mm -hmm. can just, and, it, and it's like a, a, a very everyday average thing, right? So, so to me, when, when I hear the back of the blue, blue eyes matter kind of, kind of, uh, talking points from people on the right I, I think it's it's insulated in the, in the fact that it's a very American idea and as much as I love it For sure. we have to kind of step back and take a look at it objectively and say well hey we're all flawed we're all human we all have the capacity to do wrong and that needs to be accounted for within the police within the within the police as well so um, I think that there is a, a place to really say hey uh, we need some reform here but we also need to increase funding in some of these places that that are doing well and we need to learn from those and and you know provide help to the people that aren't doing as well do you see do you see that same thing or is that is that just me as far as um the way policing is handled on let's say the right side of politics well i think again i think a number of issues have become politicized and it's kind of like oh are you a bernie sanders person you say this then i'm gonna say that i think there's a, a whole lot of that that goes on but going back to some of the points you made about uh, policing in general, I think, yeah, there's a lot of things that are uniquely American to, to the way we do things. Um, there's a lot of things that are just unique to America in general that I think is part of what makes America great. You know, I, I'm a Gen Xer, and uh, prior to me, you've got, you know, other people, baby boomers, et cetera. And, you know, I look at how it was when I grew up as a kid, and cops were heroes. Uh, not literally like, you know, 9-11 hero. That's way before that. I'm talking about like cops were like, I'd see a cop and I'd get excited. Go, wow, it's a cop. You know, it's a policeman. They, they were neighborhood staples. They, they knew the people in the community. They walked around. They made sure that people from other sections. I grew up in Brooklyn, uh, right outside of Flatbush. And, you know, there were guys that it was a different world. You know, uh, before the DWI became a big thing, if, if somebody got drunk, they'd usually take your car keys away and drop you off at your house. You know, that was NYPD. That's so c community policing is something that my generation and those that came before me 
have always um, supported the police and they knew people in the community. They'd go, hey, Mrs. So-and-so, I saw your kid running with the wrong crowd with so-and-so from 86th Street. And you know what? You should probably keep an eye on him. And, and, it, and community was a very genuine thing. So I think today we have, uh, I don't know how, I'm pretty sure if we put enough time to it, we could figure it out. But we've gotten to a place where we have glorified the mind your business. That's not my business. Uh, I'm going to do me, you do you. This type of insular existence that um, really breaks apart at the fabric of community that I think we once had. And and that's a shame. And And when you compare it through a political spectrum, right and left, I would say the left really enjoys that part of it. They they want that whole, um, you know, um, segmentation of society. You know, they say things like "Black America," "White America." Like you know, I, I I've never in my life woken up and think, "Man, ah, beautiful day in Brown America," right? I just never I've never done it. And I don't I don't know anybody who does. Uh, you know, at least, you know, other brown people like you. Now, I do have uh, friends that are black that say things, you know, like black America, these are, and I'm, I always, and I always challenge them. In particular, I'm talking about my buddy Brandon Bryce out in Detroit. Shout out to Brandon Bryce. And I always tell him, Bryce, yo, you know, wh why are you only talking to the blacks in America? Like, aren't we all Americans? Shouldn't we operate that way? Especially in a country that, you know, fought segregation and made so many inroads in such a short history, you know, while we're the most unique and oldest constitutional republic, we're still one of the youngest countries in civilization. So, so when you look at this, uh, you know, interesting anomaly, you would think, oh my gosh, you know, there's so much that's unique to America. And segmentation is one of the key things, uh, components, tenets of, of Marxism. This is how they get people to do that. You know, this is how you get a proletariat and, and a bourgeoisie. So I think, you know, back in the days, cops were honestly that glue in that community that brought a lot of us together and made sure that kids didn't go astray. And, and I think it, there's like anything, like government, for example, there's different philosophies in government. You also have now different philosophies in policing where you have some that say, you know what, we got to focus on community policing. And I've been involved in this as, as a chaplain and working with uh, the, the Office of Faith-Based Affairs and, and one police department where they, uh, they said, we're going to reach out to the um, community houses of worship, to churches and mosques and synagogues, because that's where the community congregates. So we're going to develop uh, relationships with the community through the community. And I thought, man, it's terrific. And, and I've seen it be effective and I've seen it reduce crime. So you look at stuff like that and then you have also, you know, more tactical, more um, practical advice and, and schools of thought within policing where they're like, look, it's becoming more and more dangerous. More and more cops are losing their lives. And what has to happen is the cop has to go home at night at all costs. And I think so. I think that becomes um, an issue. So when you have these uh, conflicting interests, which you know shouldn't conflict, I think I should, you know, let's say you or me or somebody's a cop, they should be able to go home at night alive. Yes, amen. And I think at the same time, we should be able to develop really strong inroads in the community and they shouldn't be uh, exclusive of one another. And I, I get when they can be, you know, I understand if the guy from your community is trying to shoot you in the face, then of course you're going to have to shoot him first. I get that too, and I support that. What, do you, what else are you going to do? Um, let him shoot you? So I, I do understand the nuance and the challenge that's available, uh, that, that presents itself, excuse me, with something like this. 
but I think um, you, you need to win a debate. And uh, right now, I think there's a debate between cop uh, officer safety and community outreach. And I think you, it's not either or. I think it's both and more. But until we get there, we're going to continue to see these these growing pains. But I think it really does stem from one of those two uh, two issues. Marxism and, and, you know, the proletariat and the bourgeoisie during this whole thing, because when you zoom out the lens and you look at it more on a macro level <clears throat> from a, sociolog a sociological level, it's, it's interesting to see how people went from living in villages and living in little towns to now that there's, there's a more, more of an emphasis on city living, which requires less, less of a, uh, a community-like aspect, right, where you don't necessarily go to the same butcher every day. You don't go to the same church every week. You know, your family doesn't know the neighbors. And so it leaves a lot of room for policing to get very slippery because they don't know the neighborhood that they're policing necessarily. Right. Whereas well, I, I would disagree on that point only because I think uh, I've never met a cop that didn't know the neighborhood. Uh, that's how you lose your life. I mean, you literally need to know which alley you've got to run through. When, if you get shot or your partner gets shot, you need to know. I'm on the 400 block of Avenue A. If you don't know where you are at all times, and they teach you that through the police academy. They train you on that stuff. So, I mean, I think they have to know it. Now, the question, I think, uh, for me becomes, do they know their community? Now, I think the other point you're bringing up is that communities have become more transient. So, um, yeah, I think people do typically go to the same butcher and the same church, but there's more transient. Sometimes they leave, they go from this neighborhood to that neighborhood and they move amongst themselves. So it's not as consistent. And so I think there's truth in that too. Uh, and I, again, if police need more training, they should get more training. But any cop who's on the street and really doesn't know the neighborhood they're in uh, is likely going to get hurt because he's not going to be able to call for backup and say, hey, look, I'm getting shot at. Now, I don't know where the hell I am. You can't do that as a cop. And cops don't do that. So they, they typically always know where they are, at least from my experience. Interesting. Yeah, no, that, that's great insight. Uh, changing gears a little bit. I really, we, we touched on this when we talked on the phone, but I, I really want to get it, you know, live on air. Um, sure. What is it, um, you being Latino American and myself being Latino American, I consider myself an American. I consider myself. Me too. I just, I use brown every now and again because I've been told by my friends on the left that it's black and brown, black and brown. So I'm, I'm the brown part of black and brown. Yeah, yeah Pac. Tupac. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, because of that kind of identitarian politics that's happening now, there's a, there's a retaliation or a reaction, I would say is a better word, from the right to kind of buy into this and say, okay, well, I'm a brown American then, or I'm a black American then, I'm a black conservative, brown conservative. Um, what's your take on that? Should we as conservatives, people who are more on the conservative side of politics, should we be having that reaction or should we just be sticking to, let's say, facts and logic? And, and, you know, just kind of honing in on that and regardless of color. Do you think color plays any role in what our ultimate goal is as conservatives? Uh, no, I don't think color plays a role in, in the goal as being a conservative or being a libertarian or any of that. And I think there's a, a lot of intersectionality, not, not to be punny, but uh, within the, these movements. Uh, what, what I think is funny, though, is I talk about it often uh, and I do it because they talk about it often. And I do it kind of like to take it out in their face as often as I can. Like I said before, you know, who wakes up in the morning and says, oh, what a great day in brown America. You know, um, <laughs> no one does it. It's it's And if people do do it, then I guess I happen to live the insulated life where I've never met somebody. It's like, what do you mean? You don't wake up and go, yo, look at white America. Look at black. I, I don't. I really don't. 
you know, and I don't shop that way on purpose. If I want to, sub- I, I get a cafe con leche every day from a place called La Giraldia. It's a Cuban restaurant. I love it. It's uh, it's in Bogota, New Jersey, and they're terrific. Now, I go there because they're terrific, and it's good because I like the cafe con leche. There's another great place over here run by a Korean-American guy, and he makes a good latte, and it's Java Day. Great place. So my, my point is whatever I feel like having, I'll have. You know, I, I don't go because they're Cuban. I don't go because he's Korean. I go because I like that stuff. And if I want to support a small neighborhood business, I will. If, uh, if I want to support a small Hispanic business, I will. But it, it's not necessarily my goal. I go because I like Café con Leche. That's the, the overarching. To me, it's the free market and giving options. So I don't think there's a... We don't need to shy away from who we are and what we espouse and what we bring to the table and our nuance and our uniqueness. Um, I, I don't think we need to hone in on it. Uh, but it's... Um, I, there's a few pieces to this, right? So I guess the first part is the question you asked was, do we need to do it as conservatives? No. Now, do we need to do it in terms of outreach? Not necessarily, but it definitely helps. You know, the, the idea of reaching people by demographic has been done by marketers and mainly political marketers who are the best ones ever. You know, nobody can segment people uh, better than politicians can. Right. You know, what they're doing in political campaigns is quickly mirrored by corporations uh, soon after because they 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 need to have their finger on the pulse. So uh, I think when you want to reach if you want to reach a uniquely. um, A uniquely designed population or a a uniquely um, segmented population, let's say, let's just say you have a product. Uh, you sell T-shirts and you sell T-shirts that have funny sayings that only people that share a similar culture would understand. Like, let's just say a T-shirt that says like, you better or else. And it shows a picture of like a Latina lady holding a chancleta, right? And you'll find the humor in that. And so will so many others. Other people are like, I don't get it. What's going on here? There's some Spanish lady holding a flip-flop and it says, you. I don't get it. You know, so, uh, the you know, I'm, you're going to waste your time selling that to someone who wouldn't have an appreciation for that. So you want to sell it to people that are Hispanic, Latino, or have at least been exposed to that culture so they can say, I see the value in that. And I'm going to buy that shirt. I think the same holds true in politics. Now, this is where the race hustling and race baiting comes into play, where the Democrats figured out a million years ago, you know, we can suppress one population of people and then continually pander to them. You know, it's literally like hold them back. And while you're holding them back, go, you know what, I'm going to do this and this and this and these three things to help you get closer to where I am while still holding them back. And, and that's basically what they've done with Jim Crow and so many other things. And it's a slap in the face to anyone's intelligence. And and I don't think intelligence is based on anybody's um, um, skin color. I think there's legacy that goes with um, education and income earning and wealth building and stuff like that. So I know it's a long and circuitous uh, road that I'm taking to answer your question. But I feel that it, you, um, you know, so when I get on my mic, I say, hey, it's Rich Valdez, your liberty loving Latino amigo. I'm letting people know that, yes, I'm one of you because there was tremendous growth in the um, 2020, 2018, 2019 of a lot of Hispanics saying, you know what, I don't like this thing that I've been doing forever. Or guys like you, they're like, I've never done this before. You know, I could care less about politics. There's so many things in my life that matter way more than who's in the White House. And 
And but yet people because of Trump and the gravitas that he had and his ability to push back on the false narrative coming out of the media that they said, you know what, this guy makes sense. I'm with this guy. It's OK to, to push back. It's OK to be in their face. You don't have to get punched in the face every day and then respond by saying, why are you punching me in the face? Because that's what Republicans and conservatives have done forever. It's like, well, why would you do that to me? That's so unfair. You know, and, and you take this passive approach where now it's like, don't even think of punching me because I'm going to punch you twice before you do. I think that's something that's really drawn me into, you know, commentary and, and creating content online because for, for the longest, I mean, I remember growing up and, and thinking like, yeah, I grew up kind of, I lived in Patterson, New Jersey. So you're, you're in New Jersey, so you understand like the demographic there. But I to school, yeah, I went to school in Hawthorne. So I got, I got like a private education with most- That's a lot better. School, yeah. And, and I, it was funny for me to see the duality because I would go to, I would go to karate, right? I did karate growing up in Patterson and I'd be the, like the whitest quote unquote kid there. People call me white because of the way I talk. Then I'd go to school in Hawthorne and I'd be the brownest kid there. So it was like, I was always, you know, on the outskirts of whatever was happening. Happening, but I never felt uncomfortable. I never felt out of place. Yeah. And I never felt like that was changing the way people were seeing me. You know, and so well, that, that was pre-Obama. Pre-Obama, yes, very much pre-Obama. People didn't really start looking at race again until he came around in 2008. Then it became a really big deal. We also loved the cops before he came around too. <laughs> yeah, 100% agree. And and then when all of this stuff started happening, where all of a sudden my skin color mattered more than my personality, it was it was just like this jarring shock. Like I don't want anything to do with that. And it just pushed me right into the Trump train. And I was just like, that's it. I'm I'm on board. I'd rather I'd rather talk to somebody like that than somebody who thinks that I'm like oppressed and that I can't do certain things because of my skin color. It, it just didn't make any sense to me. So when when I started watching your stuff and when I started talking about about your stuff, it was interesting to see that your your entire brand isn't necessarily based on on your your uh, skin color or you know your Latin origins. It's more based on like these are the truth. This is the news. This is what's happening. And and it was an inspiration because up until that Thank point, I, I had seen a lot of I guess Latino creators just double down on the fact like i'm an immigrant i'm this i'm that i'm brown and because of that you should listen and and i see a place for that but i was torn once i started making content do i double down on my skin color do i double down on 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 the facts and the content and the substance and so it's just cool because you cleared it up i mean it, it yeah, I, I make fun of it on a regular basis. Yeah, I, I scream it on the mics. I'll just, I'm brown, I'm brown, right? Because, and that's my Joe Biden impression. And, and I, and I do that because I feel that they're so race obsessed on the left because they figured out, listen, there's a few things that, that get people going on the inside. Like, yo, I got a thousand bucks in my pocket. What do you got? That gets people going. Oh, I don't got a thousand bucks. Oh, come on, I don't have a thousand bucks. I want to have a thousand like that guy has, right? So people get all excited about that. The haves and the have-nots. Then there's, uh, of course, you know, uh, well, you know, that guy gets away with, you know why? Cause he's white. You know why you don't? Cause you're brown. And somehow that's bad. And, and everything that's bad in your life has happened because you're brown. But thank God, I gotta tell you, and really, this is truly, thank God, my parents never, um, bought into that. Like I, they never ever told me. Cause that's how it, it would have ruined me. If my parents, if my dad would have told me, mira macho, everything bad gonna happen because you're brown. I probably would live my life that way. But my dad didn't see that. 
Um, and my mom didn't see that. And I don't think anybody in my family really felt that way. Now, that doesn't mean that there, we lived in a world devoid of racism. I've, I've been the subject of racism and I've, I've experienced it and it's terrible. But, uh, you know, I, I owned a barbershop many years ago and it got robbed. Yeah, there's, there's crime. I got robbed. <laughs> you know, I mean, these things happen. There's a distinction between systemic racism and an individual being racist, right? Like, I've, yes. I've been, I've experienced people judging me on the color of my skin. I would, I would beg to call that prejudice before I'd call that racism, because once they got to know me, they they switched up a little bit, so they were just prejudging me. But no, I, I totally agree, and I think parenting plays such a big role. Like you said, like my, you know, growing up, my my mom almost ref once I got to a certain age, she refused to talk to me in Spanish so that I wouldn't develop an accent because she wanted me to assimilate into American culture regularly and be able to have yeah. friends and all that. And I mean, whether that was the right decision or not is kind of up in the air, but it benefited me in the long run because it got me more, more involved in learning about vocabulary and learning about you know, philosophy and all these things because I could just understand the language easier. Sure. And I want to I jump in. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I think that's such an important piece, right? Because there are some people that will tell you, be like, how are you going to listen to this guy, Rich Valdez? He sounds like he's whiter than the white guys. And right, so, I, and I've heard this criticism. And I think it's funny. And these are people that I grew up with, you know, that when I was 17 and every other word was the F-bomb and, you know, and I, and I sounded like I was part of the Wu-Tang Clan. So, the, you know, they hear me today on the radio and they're like, yo, you know, and I had to tell one of them. I was like, dude, I'm, you know, not, I don't mean to sound like stuffy, but like my profession is broadcasting. This is what I do. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I really can't sit here and, you know, I I'm not on Hot 97 where I can pull that off. You know, you've got to be able to, there's a standard. Now, the question becomes that the argument they will make is, why is the standard white? Why is the default white? And I would say the, the standard and the default is white because a bunch of white dudes like Washington and others are the ones that made this country. So if, if they made this, where was my dad when, when uh, they were doing this country? He wasn't born yet. But where was my dad's dad and his dad's dad? And his, I'll tell you where they were. They were in Puerto Rico. So we, we weren't here. My dad came here in 1955. So the, 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 the story of the Valdez family in, in, the, in the New York, New Jersey area, whatever, starts in 1955. There was no, uh, my dad wasn't on the Mayflower, right? And, and this is the point. The point of it is that this is a country started by white people. So to sit here and say that it's someone's privilege because they have legacy, because they have generations that have lived here and that call that white privilege because white people started a country, I think is one of the most ridiculous things ever. You may have privilege if you have money. Let me check this out. If I am Justin Combs, the son of Sean P. Diddy Combs, right? And they used to live up here about 10 miles from me in Alpine. And uh, the cops pull over Justin Combs and let's say his Bentley. And they're like, oh, Mr. Combs, you know, you, you rolled through that stop. Uh, um, and then they say, oh, oh, you're Diddy's kid. Oh, uh, you know, just, just make sure you do a better job when you stop at the stop sign. You know, just be careful. They got joggers around here. Thanks, officer. No problem, kid. We're going to call that white privilege too? The fact that Diddy probably donated to the PBA and to this and to that and whatever. And you know what I'm saying? It, privilege is privilege doesn't matter what color you are. Ice Cube said it really well during the campaign when he was, you know, supporting Trump's platinum plan. Uh, and he said, listen, money ain't everything, but it sure as hell helps. And that's the truth, right? You can, when they know that you have access to cash and lawyers and, and you can play this game like the, like everybody else that's been around longer, you have leverage, right? You've leveled the playing field. This has nothing to do with the color of your skin. 
this this has to do now black people will argue at least some of them have argued and say no rich you know what you're wrong because have you ever wondered why blacks don't have access to capital why they don't whatever why are so many black people in jail why are this there's a lot of reasons i don't think it's one reason but i will say if you look at the way people who are successful do things and you model yourself after their success and that pattern, I think it's very likely that you're going to succeed. And the same way, if you look at people who are not successful and you do what they do, you're also going to suck and you're going to fail because I think that's a recipe. It's a guaranteed way to make sure that you suck and fail at life if you do what losers do. And and that's I, I talk about this ad nauseum because I feel like it's a point that escapes a lot of people. People often come at me and they're like, yo, what do we do? You're pointing out all these problems. What do we do? And I'm like, well, I know this one really good example. This guy, I like to call him El Trompito, Donaldus Magnus, the 45th president of these United States. This guy had a supermodel wife and this beautiful palatial estate on Fifth Avenue. Literally, the building's golden. And uh, he gets rid of all of that. And he walks away from it. To do what? To become a politician. A thankless job where he's going to get smeared. And he does it because of his love of country. So when people say, what do I do? What do I do? I'm thinking, what more of an example do you need than somebody who is a billionaire in his 70s walking away from a life of potentially doing whatever the hell he wants to do? I want to play golf all day? I do it. I'll go to my other palatial estate called Mar-a-Lago. I mean, he had so many options. He didn't have to do this and get his kids dragged through them, but he did. Because to me, the moral of the story is sacrifice, right? So it's not pro-Trump. The story here is sacrifice. He put it on the line. So when people say, what can we do? You got to put it on the line. You want to succeed? You put it on the line. It's not about privilege. It's not about anything. Legacy can help. You know, if I I leave my kids property or money, that's going to help them in their lives. But ultimately, they can only do that because I came before them. And it's not because I'm brown. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Sacrifice. That's that's such a key. And, and that's such a key for masculinity in general, right? For being a man, like you have to be willing to sacrifice for the things you want and take that risk. If not, you're just you're never going to take a risk big enough to actually succeed at anything. So I, I appreciate that. And one of the things that you mentioned, which which I thought was great, was this idea of like, you know, the Mayflower and some people having heritage and lineage that goes all the way back there. I, I've been through conversations like this with my like with my younger brother who was struggling a lot because he went to school in like really wealthy places he worked at really wealthy places and he would always compare himself with the other people there and say oh they're my age but they have this money and they have this and that and their parents help them this way and i'm like you have to understand this isn't this isn't a skin color thing this is generational um generational privilege they had people come before them to teach them the ropes of the way this country's structured so that by the time they're here and they're our age they already understand how does credit work how does student loans work how does all these things work and they have the resources to do that it doesn't have to do with skin color it's just experience and let me and again i'm going to chime in again I mean, i've seen this a million times i've already seen several immigrant waves right so like back in the 90s there was tons of dominicans coming into this area those dominicans today they all have kids that are like driving and they own homes and they're leaving their kids homes when they're you know they're buying second homes where their kids can live in they're buying their kids cars their kids are already living that life my dad didn't buy me a car I had to buy my own car. I bought a 1989 Grand Am and I paid $700 for it. And I did that and I had to insure it. He did give me, uh, you know, like he uh, he put it on his insurance because I, I couldn't afford it. But my point, and again, I guess that was brown privilege again because my dad put me on his insurance. <laughs> but but the um, the bottom line was 
my kid didn't have to buy a car when it was her turn, right? And and I'm born here. So my point is, I, I'm seeing Dominicans that were bodegueros in the 90s. They're killing it now. They, you know, they went from gas stations to nightclubs to, I mean, they're in all sorts of businesses. You know, they've already uh, evolved through this um, immigration continuum, if you will, where, you know, their kids are born in the U.S., their kids already have kids, they have grandkids now. Uh, I've seen it with Mexicans that came in later that were running uh, taco stands on the corner that now have big taquerias and restaurants where they, they, they've progressed and their kids, same thing, the English-Spanish at home debate, blah, 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 whatever, whether it's good or bad. I've learned, I did English and I, uh, and my parents did English with me. And if I had to do a do-over, I would do Spanish at home because uh, I've met a few people that grew up speaking Spanish as a first language and then going to public school or whatever. And um, I think the takeaway was you speak re really good English and you speak really good Spanish. And why not? Then when you get to like high school, you study Mandarin or you, you, know, you have a third language that you can take under the belt. But anyway, I'm getting tangential. But the bottom line was I've seen so many immigrant groups just in my short lifetime, go from one, two, three generations already, you know, where they've succeeded and their kids have succeeded and there's multiple homes that are owned because immigrants get it. They come here and they still see it a land of opportunity. And that doesn't mean um, monolithically speaking that every immigrant sees it. There's obviously the immigrant that comes here and says, I'm going to freaking eat ramen noodles and sleep in a, on the floor next to a guy renting a room. Uh, you know, until I could get enough money and save enough money to do what I got to do. And then there's a guy that comes in and he's like, look, uh, where's the local MS-13 group? Uh, you know, I got to get with my homies and, uh, you know, do what I got to do. So, I mean, obviously there's different types of immigrants and it, it's the responsibility of those in the media and oneself, of course, individual responsibility is paramount. But uh, it's, you know, I think we do bear some responsibility to try to paint the picture fairly so that when, you know, we talk about immigration, we realize these unaccompanied minors that are coming in, are these people criminals or are they are they victims? And are we supposed to magically become cold hearted now and be like, hey, you came into my country. I'm going to shoot you, you five year old with your three year old sister. How dare you? You know, I mean, it's ridiculous to think that way. And I think sometimes our political rhetoric really gets lost. And that just has to do with the, the nature of politics, the nature of demagoguery, where you have people that are feeble minded. And the feeble-minded will always buy into that type of uh, heavy-handed rhetoric. And that's why, again, individual responsibility, you have to make sure you're smart. You have to make sure you're well-read. You have to make sure you're up to speed on the issues and that nobody's fooling you. I love it, man. Thank you so much for your time and your wisdom. Um, oh, did I lose you? Oh, no, you're good. Uh, no, I'm still here. Okay. So thank you so much for everything, man. I do want to leave some time for you to take the floor to, to let us know where we can listen to you frequently, you know, where we can follow you, all that good stuff. And, um, you know, just, just unpack for us where you're at. Plug away. <laughs> sure. Well, you know, I want to give you a, before I give you that stuff, I just want to give you a, a final thought, which is um, yesterday we talked about something that um, it, it, I think is important to me. Because oftentimes, and I made the analogy because I know you, you, you're a church guy, and uh, as am I. And I, I said, you know, I remember being in church and the preacher telling me, um, don't get comfortable in the pews because you got to get out there and do the work. And I, and I thought to myself, hell no. I only come here to sit in the pew and for you to feed me this really nice sermon. You know, I, I don't want to be a preacher. That's your job. I'm doing me. You do you. And I really thought I was legitimate in that. And I would say that is very legitimate in times of peace. But politically, uh, even spiritually, if you want, 
there's wartime. And I think right now we're in a political war for, for the culture. Which direction do we go in? The one where if it feels good, do it, or the one where we do what's right because we know what's right. And I think that's where we are right now in America. And we weren't always there. For a long time, most people believed you do the right thing because it's right. You know, we don't kill people, not because we will go to jail. We don't kill people because it's wrong to kill people. And I think now we're at a point where like, we don't kill people because we go to jail because we've proved in New York that they don't put people in jail for almost anything. And shootings are up. This is up. This homicides are up. So it's clear that people don't really just do the right thing for the sake of doing the right thing. Now, politically speaking, I think we're at that same place. I'll go fast. No, no, no. What I was going to say was uh, what I usually do with guests, what I'm, what I'm trying to do now is I'm trying to do like a little exclusive for Patreon members. And so if you want, we can we can unpack this whole idea as well behind the wall. Ah, perfect. So we can make a few bucks. Love it. God bless the free market. Okay. So with that said, make sure you go, if you're a Patreon member, become one so that you can hear the rest of this. Because trust me, this is a good nugget that I'm about to give you. But if you want to hear my show or anything like that, uh, you can go to richvaldez.com, richvaldez with an S, wherever you want, on social media, at richvaldez, on all of the platforms. And of course, if you're on Apple or any of the podcast platforms, it's This Is America with Rich Valdez. I would love for you to give us a shot. It's three quick segments on the news of the day. And sometimes I'm funny, sometimes I'm not. Whatever, you can love me or hate me, but give it a try and leave me a comment so much for for your time rich and uh sorry about the technical difficulties <laughs> no it's no, all, all good all right see you guys soon